over the last three weeks, we have looked at the disciples' relationship with those around them. To neighbor, to, to those around them, to be a neighbor uh, with Jesus in a rhythm of sitting at his feet, listening to him, and then going out with him in service, and with God as our Father. Today we continue with the text from verses 14 to 36, and we look at how people respond to Jesus' ministry and teaching, and what effect they had on it. We encounter Jesus and his teachings, yes, but we are also faced with a choice. Do we take this further in ourselves? Do we look at it and say, wow, end of story, or do we make a further decision? And decisions are important, whether we like it or not. Decisions matter. In the movie Casualties of War, it is a true story of a squad of soldiers fighting in the Vietnam War. And while they both saw and participated in some terrible crimes, one of the crimes was to abduct and rape a young Vietnamese girl. One member of the squad, Private Erickson, does not give in and does not follow. As he struggles with what took place, he says to the other men in the squad, just because each of us might at any second be blown away, we're acting like we can do anything we want as though it doesn't matter what we do. I'm thinking it's just the opposite. Because we might be dead in the next split second, maybe we ought to, we got to be extra careful what we do because maybe it matters more. Maybe it matters more than we ever know. The decision we make about Jesus for our lives matters. And I think it matters a lot more than our minds can grasp. Because this decision that we make about Jesus, whether or not to put our trust in him and follow him totally, doesn't only impact our lives now, it has implications into eternity. And so nothing in our life is more crucial than this decision we make about Jesus' ministry and his teaching. And so as we go to the text, we find uh, Luke recording for us the miracle Jesus did, and it just takes one verse. But what is interesting is normally uh, when the Gospels tell about Jesus' miracles, they do so in quite full detail. But in this case, all we are told is that Jesus 
was driving out a demon that was mute when the demon left the man who had been mute spoke. That's kind of like just a couple of lines. But it is the debate that goes on after that, the back and forth that goes on after that, what Jesus says, that tells us that this is crucial because it impacted people. And we find three responses to what Jesus did. The first response was one of amazement, and, and that is kind of common if you read in the other Gospels, especially the ones where Jesus delivers someone from an evil spirit, the people are amazed. And they link that with his teaching in Mark. If you remember, one of the first miracles he did was to deliver a man in a synagogue, and the people were amazed. And Mark records for us their response was, what kind of teaching is this with authority? even the demons obey him. And so Jesus' work and um, the, the miracles go together with Jesus' teaching. Cannot be separated. In fact, uh, the miracles are kind of an extension of Jesus' teaching. And so the first group of people, the response was amazement. Wow! But this amazement, we the evangelists never record for us, and I think they would have if it had happened. It doesn't lead to people following Jesus as such. We do see, you know, like the guy who was, who had so many demons in him that he had to live in a graveyard and all that. When he was delivered, uh, it's recorded for us. He wanted to follow Jesus, but Nobody, none of those who were amazed, followed Jesus. It's very easy to be amazed by the things Jesus does because Jesus is God. It's very easy to admire Jesus' teaching, and many people do that. But we're not called to amazement, we're not called to admiration, we're called to trust. And trusting is a choice that we make. Trusting means putting our lives in Jesus' hands and allowing Jesus to lead us. It means taking him at his word that what he says brings life to us. And we trust that and follow him and obey what he says. And that was not what the people in Jesus' day were willing to do, at least not many of them. The second response was one of rejection. People were saying Jesus' work was the power of Beelzebul. Beelzebub. Uh, some people spell it Beuzebul. And essentially, it is a name given to a pagan god, and it means Lord of the Flies, a very disrespectful name. And so, the people, in other words, saw Jesus' power as demonic. 
There are people today who refuse to believe and trust in Jesus, and they would use any excuse to get away from believing in Jesus. Without testing, without looking, without looking truthfully at where Jesus' power and his teaching come from. At the same time, there are those who have very fixed ideas about how Jesus should operate. And if Jesus were to do something out of the ordinary, out of the limits of these ideas, then people will say, cannot be Jesus, it's the devil. It cannot be God, it's the devil. And Jesus' work is rejected without actually examining it properly to see who truly is at work. And so the people in Jesus' day rejected Jesus that way, forgetting that Jesus was not the only one who cast out demons. Jesus was not the only one who did that kind of thing. And we'll look at that a little later. A third group of people sat on the fence. They asked for a sign from heaven. They had already seen Jesus doing many things, and these were signs. Uh, the first three Gospels uh, used the word miracles, works of power in the original language, but John, when he talks about Jesus' miracles, uses the word sign. And so Jesus' miracles are a sign that God is present and that God's kingdom is present. This third group of people did not want to make that decision either to reject Jesus or to commit to following him. Maybe they want to play nice guy. Okay, like Jesus... You continue doing and convince us. Putting our trust in Jesus means following him and being obedient to him. And so, fence-sitters find reasons, perhaps excuses for postponing their decision and therefore they ask for a sign. And it says here, a sign from heaven. Maybe they expected the heavens to open or something to do, that something happens in the heavens, in the sky, for them to believe. And there are those who have fixed ideas of what kind of signs that accompany, that should accompany the Messiah, or the coming of God's kingdom. And the way Jesus did things didn't quite fit. And so they keep asking and waiting for their sign that fits their view of what a sign is. The thing about these responses is this. They don't lead to life. They lead away from God to death. Even if it's just amazement, even if it's trying to sit tight on the fence, they don't lead to life. And so Jesus responded to these people. First, he spoke to those who said that 
His power came from the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebul. The thing is this. Jesus said, look, if it is Satan who gives me the power and I cast out an evil spirit which is from Satan, it means simply that he's divided. He's fighting against himself. He is hurting himself. And Satan would never do something like that. And the thing is, this Jesus was not the only one, as I said earlier, who was doing this kind of work. There were other Jewish people who did the same thing. He calls them um, your followers, the followers of the Pharisees, the scribes. Were they casting out? The demons, by the same power they accused Jesus of doing it, of doing. But it just did not make sense. Hostility against someone, rejection against someone sometimes addles the brains. You know, when someone is hostile, they don't think very carefully. And so they will throw any accusation and Jesus says, this doesn't make sense because if it is Satan, then wow, his house is going to just collapse. But if Jesus is not doing this by Satan's power, then it has to be the power of God. And if it is the power of God, then God's rule has come among them. Because that was one of the signs of the Messiah, the anointed one will bring God's kingdom to pass. God's rule will come on earth. And so Jesus said, if I am doing it by the finger of God, and we have seen what God's finger can do, uh, writing the Ten Commandments and sending those plagues upon Egypt, that's the work of the finger of God. And if it is by the finger of God, God's work among you, then God's rule must be here. And imagine this. If you think the evil spirit is strong and the devil is strong, guess what? Somebody stronger is now here because he has just overcome that evil spirit. And so he says, you know, when somebody overcomes a stronger man, a strong man, that person is stronger. And who is supreme in all the universe? God alone. And therefore, God's rule is among you. And if you do not stand with God, then you end up against God. And those who don't stand with God get blown away or makes things worse. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. This is war and there is no neutral ground. If you are not on my side, you are the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. 
we need to be careful what we decide to paraphrase Private Erickson. The thing is this, those who keep asking for a sign already have a sign, not just in Jesus' work, but in Jesus' teaching. And that is what Jesus was referring to when he said Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. Some people say it's the three days in the whale of the belly, but that was before he went to Nineveh. When Jonah got to Nineveh, it was his preaching that made them turn around. And Jesus continues that the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So that was the sign of Jonah, Jonah's preaching to the Ninevehs. And so the sign to the people in Jesus' days was his teaching, his teaching about the gracious kingdom of God. The Ninevites, by the way, were pagan. They did not believe in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, when Jonah went in and preached and said, Repent for this God, creator of the world, if you do not repent, will punish you. And they repented. Another pagan who came from the south, the queen of the south, recognized Solomon's wisdom as coming from God and came all the way. Um, it is said that the south is somewhere in Saudi Arabia, and so she made that journey all the way up to listen to Solomon. And here was Jesus, creator of the universe. Here was Jesus as creator, having the wisdom of all the ages in him, the wisdom of God in him. And people were saying that they still wanted a sign, that they still did not believe that he had come from God. The thing is this, when we have made up our minds about Jesus to reject him, nothing can change us except perhaps a miracle or we take down our defences. When we have tasted the grace of God and either do nothing or reject God, then our situation will end up getting worse than before. Those who have experienced God's grace of deliverance but don't commit to Jesus is like that analogy that Jesus gave of a nice room, a nice house that is swept clean, empty, everything is set in order. And so when the evil spirit comes and looks at it, it's empty. There's nothing there. 
I can just go in again. And because it's so nice, I will bring others. And the evil becomes deeper than before. When we have turned from sin to Jesus, just sitting tight, not cooperating with God in His work in our lives, then our house is empty. Because we have turned from sin, the sin has been cleaned out. There is space now in our hearts, the space that was meant for God. All of us are made with a space inside our hearts for God. Those who have been regular would have heard me say this many times. The question is, who do we allow into that space? Only God fits that space nicely. You know, He fits. Nothing else fits. You, you can put in anything. The space is there. And they become idols, whether it's wealth, status, uh, money, influence, friendships, people. You can fill that space with all these things. They will not fit nicely. Only God will. And when we've cleaned all that out, if we don't let God in, that space is empty. So easy to be touched by a speaker or to have encountered God in a special way and then go away and be satisfied with that. If we don't follow it up with taking time to spend with God and allowing God to come in to fill that. And we do that through prayer, through reading His Word, to connecting with God and spending time with God. Then that emptiness is just waiting to be filled and the devil is not slow to take the chance to come in again. And when that happens, our fall is even greater. And when that happens, our condition is worse than before. Those of us who have experienced God's grace, have we taken the action or have we made that choice to follow Jesus actively and live as he commands us to. And so as Jesus talks about all these things and says in so many words, you need to be careful what you fill your heart with, all that space that has been cleaned out. And if you remember, Jesus says, you have my word, it's his word that cleans our hearts very uncomfortable to have Jesus say these things to you. And I can imagine the people kind of shifting in their seats and one woman tries to diffuse the situation and kind of blurts out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus will not be thwarted or will not be led astray or will not detour from where he's heading. And so he brings them back. Blessed rather are those 
who hear the Word of God and obey it. Because when we hear the Word of God and obey it, that space in our hearts continues to get filled with God, with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' teaching is light and life. If we let Jesus' teaching into our hearts and if we act upon it, then we find wholeness. Jesus uses the analogy of the eye to illustrate this. The eye allows, allows light into us and we can see. If it's working well, if our, if our eyes are healthy, then light comes into our body and we can see well. But if the eye is unhealthy or the eye is blind, then no light can go in and there is darkness inside of us. If we shut the door on Jesus' teaching, then our hearts and our lives will be dark. Letting Jesus' teaching in and following that is a choice before us. God doesn't force us because he loves us. He is our heavenly father who wants us to love rather than force us. And so he gives us this choice. Many of us know the name Steve Jobs. He died of pancreatic cancer some years back. It was first detected in 2004. And at that time, they thought that he would not make it. And so in 2005, he gave the commencement speech at Stanford University, that graduation speech which they get a person of note to deliver. And in that speech, they normally pass on some wisdom for life that will help the graduating students commence the next phase of their life. That's why it's called that. And so one of the things that Steve Jobs spoke on was death. And this is what he said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations or pride or fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Steve Jobs didn't believe in Jesus, but he realized that death forced him to make some choices. And for him, it meant following his heart to do what he thought was worthwhile in life. For us who are hearing this, Jesus offers life, not death. 
yes, we will come to that door at the end of our biological life. The question is whether we will step through it into Jesus' presence. And that happens when we put our trust in Him, when we choose to believe the Messiah. If we do not, the consequence is that that door will be final. Jesus came to show us the most important choice we have to make for our lives is whether or not to follow him. It's not just about being amazed at what he can do. It's not just about being touched by Jesus and go, wow, and leave it at that. But to make a commitment to hear his word and to obey him and be blessed in doing so. In other words, the invitation to us is to become his disciples. And perhaps this is the first time you're hearing the invitation. It may be the second or third time or more. And if you have not made that decision, let me urge you, give it serious thought because this choice affects the entirety of your life as well as the eternity of your life. Let us pray. Lord God, our Father, you give us choices. You give us the freedom to choose because you want us to love you and not be forced. You love us that much. At the same time, you tell us the consequences of our choices so that we may be able to choose wisely. We ask for grace that we may be able to indeed choose wisely. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.